Freedom through food. You lose freedom when you lose access to food. You lose freedom, not just in a world of food security being national security, but you lose freedom in your body. And right now there's a really, in my opinion, scary woke principle of all foods fit, health at every size. And it's again, it's another messaging of disempowerment. We have to kind of call bullshit when things are bullshit these days and not worry about being canceled. <laughs> so, you know, when we... When, when we're talking about what happens in our bodies when we eat processed foods, we lose freedom. The freedom to get on the, the ground and play with our grandchildren because our joints hurt so bad from inflammation. We lose the freedom of feeling amazing, of having libido and sex drive. We lose the freedom of mental wellness, the ability to have good cognition and mood stability. Um, you know, so I would kind of extend that as a huge overarching element. It's not just obesity. It's not just cancer. It's not just diabetes. These are all ICD-10 codes of disease that the Industrialized Medical Institute has created to identify elements of dysfunction. But ultimately, the more and more we move away from whole, real, nourishing foods and we move into processed chemical shitstorms, we lose freedom. I think that's the biggest important thing. Welcome to Where Hope Grows, a podcast curated to tell the inspiring stories of land stewards, ranchers, and farmers who are on the front lines of the regenerative revolution. Interweaved with wisdom inspired by Mother Nature, these journeys are testaments to her capacity for healing ourselves, our agricultural systems, and our planet. Hello, my fellow artisans of the grasslands, lovers of woodlands, admirers of riparian zones, and students of nature. I think that should cover about 99% of everyone out there. Thank you for tuning in to another season of Where Hope Grows. Today's episode is one of my all-time favorites, and I can't wait to tickle your eardrums with the profound wisdom and insight of these three wise women who have devoted so much of their lives to understanding how nutrition acts as a baseline for human health. While this may seem obvious to you, it's only because you are an enlightened human who has retained your ability to use common sense and to listen to your body. How dare you? Both of these are instincts that seem to be rather important, but honestly found less often these days. Now, despite food being a basic requirement, a fundamental for existence, for life, our modern civilization has been so far disconnected with the source of our daily nourishment that we are in the midst of a chronic health epidemic that not only threatens the lives that we pursue, but also the fate of our civilization. You don't believe me? Well, why don't you take a little field trip to your nearby Walmart or a given fast food restaurant of your choice or head over to your nearest elementary school. Here are some disturbing statistics. One in three Americans are overweight. Two out of five are obese. Now this one breaks my heart. One in five adolescents, so that's from two years old to 19 years old, are also obese. Fun fact that's not so fun. But did you know that type 2 diabetes used to be known as adult onset diabetes, but we actually had to rename that disease because so many children are being diagnosed with it? In the year 2000, the United Nations reported that the number of people suffering from overnutrition, which is a billion people globally, has officially surpassed, perhaps the first time in history, 
the amount of people with malnutrition, which is in the 800 millions. Children born today are going to become the first generation of Americans that have a shorter life expectancy than their parents. Now you might be asking yourself, what can be done to reverse this frightening trajectory of our species? Are we doomed to transform our human experience into the Pixar movie WALL-E? Not if today's guest can do anything about it. On this health, nutrition, and lifestyle episode of Where Hope Grows, we have the joy of listening to a panel of fierce women who have devised a cunning plan to reclaim our health. Our panel includes Kelly Levesque, who is a certified clinical nutritionist, wellness expert, and the best-selling author of Body Love, as well as Body Love Every Day. She is joined by Allie Miller, who is an integrative functional health practitioner with a background in naturopathic medicine, as well as a registered dietitian. And then last, but certainly not least, Anne Beakley, who is a science writer and author of many books connecting human health to soil health. Her latest book is titled, what Your Food Ate, How to Heal the Land and Reclaim Our Health. And it's one of my all-time favorites. Now, the honest truth is that I would be absolutely thrilled to share a conversation with any of these women independently, but the fact that I was able to speak to all three in a fireside chat setting was an absolute dream come true. So let's get after it. Let's listen to this legendary recording. I know you guys are going to enjoy it. Hey, all I'm Allie Miller, and I don't usually have this sultry of a voice, but I'm getting over laryngitis, but I would have no other desire than to sacrifice my vocal cords for a mission such as this. So it's such an honor to be here. Um, I'm an integrative functional medicine practitioner. I have been practicing functional medicine for over 14 years now. I do a lot of work with women's hormones. Uh, my main book is the anti-anxiety diet. So I work a lot with people to get them back into that parasympathetic regulatory mode. And I feel that anxiety or even taking beyond the term anxiety as a diagnostic criteria, fear, fear or feeling powerless or out of control, that is the Achilles heel to wellness. We cannot heal ourselves. We cannot be well if we're in a state of fear. And what I'm so grateful of being here is that the antidote to fear is hope. And hope seems to be this central connecting principle that all of the speakers are, are colliding with, if you will. Um, because we know when we have fear, we have disconnect, we have disempowerment, and we have disease. So I'm excited to speak some truth bombs of hope um, to serve to empower y'all and to teach you that the body is so capable of healing when we have the ability to be empowered with food as medicine. That was, that was awesome. <laughs> um, my name is Kelly Levesque. I'm a nutritionist, a uh, holistic nutritionist and an author. I wrote the book Body Love and Body Love Every Day. I focus on nutrient density, blood sugar balance, and making healthy eating easy and accessible for a lot of people. I love to empower people to understand how to balance their blood sugar because of my the past decade working in blood sugar science and working with families and women and young kids. Um, I've really started to focus on not only what helps us to support our blood sugar, which is protein, healthy fats, fiber-rich vegetables, but looking at the nutrient density of that for our children, you know, specifically 
I'm pregnant with my third son, so if I'm slightly out of breath up here, this is like the last week I'm allowed to travel. So, um, but just understanding how important regenerative farming is to the future of our children and our children's children and just how much nutrient density can come from quality rich protein. But not only that, how much that supports our blood sugar balance. So I'm really excited to get up here and support you guys to, to understand that nutrition doesn't have to be difficult. It can be really easy and accessible. And if we support brands like Force of Nature and Rome Ranch and all these amazing ranchers here today, we can not only improve our nutrient density and our vitality and our health, but we can also support our blood sugar balance to feel our best. You guys hyped, you guys taking notes. This is gonna be amazing. Okay, Kelly, we're gonna start with you. Can you help paint a picture of the modern American diet, how that's changed over time? What did that used to look like? Um, and then how did this transformation occur? Yeah, well, when we look at the last few centuries, it's changed drastically, right? So the increase of processed and ultra-processed foods, the increase in the consumption of flours, processed sugars, industrial seed oils, a decrease in the consumption of ruminant animals in preference for poultry, um, which is not a... The poultry is not a problem, but we'll talk about ruminant animals. Um, and a decrease of whole foods, just those fiber-rich veggies that come from the land and... Unfortunately, when you look at the way things started to move, they moved in the direction of those processed foods. So 40% of the calories we consume come from three crops. That is wheat and corn and rice. And, you know, soy is the fourth, but those are, that's 40% of our daily calories. 20% in industrialized countries is coming from industrial seed oils. And when you look at nutrient density, we're looking for, not only are we looking for macros, right, we're looking for high quality protein and amino acids from fat, but we're looking for all of those other things, fat soluble vitamins, water soluble vitamins, critical minerals. And those are gonna be coming from our ruminant animals and they're gonna be coming from the land, soil that is retaining all those nutrients and feeding not only our plants, but our animals and then thus us. So we've made a massive shift and I'm so excited to be here because the mission here is to get back to the basics and really increase the nutrient density in our soil, and then in our plants, and then in our animals, and ultimately us, and then our children that grow inside of us, and then have their children, and then their children. So um, it is, we've made, a, we made a massive shift, and when you look at what it takes to grow things quickly, whether that's animals or plants, you're talking about pesticides that disrupt the gut microbiome, and a multitude of other things. I know we're going to touch on how innovation may be inhibiting our health. Um, but generally speaking, it's just moving from slow, nutrient-dense foods to fast foods that um, don't retain that. Very good. Um, Allie, so if, you know, 40% of our diet is coming from three basic foods, sometimes four, if we, you know, fed the soil only three different species of plants, the soil would also be malnourished. Um, we're moving towards this processed food diet. What are the implications of that and how has that impacted our, our human health? I think the first thing, if you guys have read the shirts that my girls are wearing, freedom through food. You lose freedom when you lose access to food. You lose freedom, not just in a world of food security being national security, but you lose freedom in your body. And right now there's a really, in my opinion, scary woke principle of all foods fit health at every size. And it's again, it's another messaging of disempowerment. We have to kind of 
call bullshit when things are bullshit these days and not worry about being canceled. <laughs> so, you know, when we... When, when we're talking about what happens in our bodies when we eat processed foods, we lose freedom. The freedom to get on the, the ground and play with our grandchildren because our joints hurt so bad from inflammation. We lose the freedom of feeling amazing, of having libido and sex drive. We lose the freedom of mental wellness, the ability to have good cognition and mood stability. Um, you know, so I would kind of extend that as a huge overarching element. It's not just obesity. It's not just cancer. It's not just diabetes. These are all ICD-10 codes of disease that the Industrialized Medical Institute has created to identify elements of dysfunction. But ultimately, the more and more we move away from whole, real, nourishing foods and we move into processed chemical shitstorms, we lose freedom. I think that's the biggest important thing. Yeah, I don't want to lose my freedom. Um, because with, when you lose your freedom, you, you're enslaved and you're enslaved by right. corporations and the medical industry. And, um, from a biological perspective, how did the quality of the food plummet? How did it change over the last hundred years? Yeah, that's, um, it certainly changed in the ways that have just been described. And so even if you're not say, among the part of the population that is getting, you know, almost half of your calories from processed or ultra processed foods or, and so on. I am guessing that most of the people here probably pay pretty close attention to their diet and are out there eating whole foods, whole plant foods, whole animal foods. But to the question, what if, you know, the carrots or the steak, for that matter, that our grandparents and great-grandparents were eating, what if the ratio of nutrients to calories <clears throat> has steadily declined? And so what I mean by that, what if the amount of iron in steak or what if the amount of beta-carotene in a carrot is a third or a half or even a quarter of what it used to be? That means we all got to be eating more steak and more carrots. Now, that might sound like a good idea, but all of that comes with more calories, which fuels more of the kinds of maladies and ailments that I'm sure these two have plenty of patients that maybe they're seeing with those things. So when we start messing too much with the soil and we start interrupting what is happening between the plant and the soil microbiome, that plant body is being suffused with far less of what it needs from the soil, but it's also doing something else, and it's sort of changing its own behavior because the phytochemicals in plants, they don't come from the soils or from the microbes or anything, right? This is an innate part of plant biology. These phytochemicals are in response and in reaction to the environment around them. So the whole sort of problem with nitrogen fertilizer, the herbicides with the pesticides, is these plants aren't just kind of these dumb green things sitting in the ground. They are, in a very real sense, these, another form of a sentient being that is trying to live the good life. And the way you live the good life as a plant is you have a fully functioning nervous system, communication, all of these things. And so when we scramble that, or when we alter the environment around these plants, they get all messed up. 
phytochemical levels aren't as high, minerals, are, they're not communicating effectively or normally with the microbiome, so they're not doing these handoffs and trade-offs with mycorrhizal fungi for things like zinc, which is a super important micronutrient. And the other thing is, in, in Wet Your Food Ate, Dave and I, things kind of came down to what we call the Fab Four. Phytochemical, so these are, these are compounds and nutrients that are found in plant and animal foods. Phytochemicals are one of those things. A balance of fats, particular kinds of minerals, by these, zinc is one of them. And then here's the fourth one that we don't talk enough about because we don't understand enough about it, and it's microbial metabolites. So I talked a bit about that in the <clears throat> yesterday, but plants are relying on the soil microbiome, especially around the rhizosphere, to pull in these compounds that the microbial world is making. And either directly or indirectly, these are suffusing and imbuing the plant body with all of the things that keep it healthy. And that ripples up to us when we're eating crops grown in, in healthy soil. And likewise, you know, I described yesterday the link between soil health and ruminant health is a little bit, it's different, obviously, than with a plant. But you want animals grazing in areas where the soils are healthy because those same kinds of things that are happening around the rhizosphere, they're happening around the rhizosphere in the plants that the animals are eating, and that ripples on into the animal body and then eventually into our body. It's not a total one-to-one -one thing. There's a lot of transformations that happen when you go from one level to the next, but all of this, the root of health, it, it truly and really is in the soil there. I think I wandered off your question. I apologize. No, you, you, you free flow. That's beautiful stream of consciousness. I hear you saying so many wonderful things coming back to what Kate said earlier, all things in nature at the highest functional capacity is in relation. So that's that's more or less what you said. Um, Kelly, right now at this moment in time, we know more information than we've ever known as a human species. Uh, technology has improved, our healthcare system, medical science has increased exponentially. Why, paradoxically, are we getting sicker as a civilization? Well, you want to look at all of these technologies and, and you see people wanting to save, you know, or solve world hunger by creating engineered proteins, for example, from multiple plant-based protein sources that are also infused with industrial seed oils. And when you look at something like that, you're missing what we were talking about, which are those micronutrients. And so iron was brought up, and let's use that as an example. When we start to replace our proteins with new age proteins, maybe it's soylent, the, the drinkable protein shake made from soybeans, or it's Beyond Burger, one of these types of meats, we're missing minerals that are critical for functional for our functional health. And when you think about, let's take iron for example. So just in 2021, they looked at the we'll take the pediatric population because I am like my mom. I'm worried about the next generation. <laughs> um, but looking at six month to 11 month olds, they looked at iron and they found that 12 percent of six to 11 month olds were deficient in iron. When we looked at toddlers, it was 8% of toddlers were deficient in iron. When we look at how iron impacts cognitive development, this has a five point decrease in their IQ score. It has irreversible cognitive impacts for learning and retention. 
which ultimately has an effect on GDP. So it's not, it's, we can't look at things in silos. We want to look at what is our human potential, and it's only at our ability to absorb, have the bioavailability of these critical nutrients absorbed through our body, through digestion, and then available to us for our health. And that, you know, that's one specific mineral. We can talk about omega-3s. Like, for example, the in utero, like a child's brain is 75% DHA, and choline is critical for delivering. It's a taxi for those omega-3s to the brain. And we're looking at these nutrients and decreasing levels in our daily like nutrition, how we're eating. And when you look at, and this is, let's talk about hope. When you look at empowering people to eat ruminant animals, and it's ounce for ounce, it is a multivitamin. And yes, if you can get your hands on 100% pasture-raised regenerative meats, we're talking about a major increase in omega-3s, minerals, and all of the nutrients critical for our immune system, our, our ability, our neurodevelopment as children through adulthood, which ultimately impacts all of us and our ability to succeed in future generations. So it sounds like we have a country with leadership from top that should be seeing these cues and these signals, and we want to have a healthy civilization, a healthy nation. It's representing, you mentioned GDP. Um, Ali, I know you like to keep it real, and you said you're okay with with getting it real with some serious shit here, but why, why has our, our government, why has food policy been advocating for essentially kind of as you guys are trying, moving in the wrong direction of what you're speaking about? I mean, you, you have to always follow the money, truly. Um, back in, I believe it was 1959 is when we passed what's called GRASS law, which stands for generally recognized as safe. There's over 10,000 additives in the U.S. allowed in our food system to date many of them banned by the EU, Japan. Um, and as a mother myself, as a human myself, I don't feel down with this concept of fucking generally recognized as safe. That just doesn't sound awesome. Like generally recognized as safe. Okay, I'm putting my body. Um, so I just really believe very strongly that something should be absolutely recognized as safe through the proof of generations, right? So when we're looking at these new... Um, additives, we have to be really mindful. A lot of them petroleum-derived compounds. Um, we look at um, any time, and, and I just want to kind of make a shift for a moment. When we, we're talking about the influence of technology, I think any time, if we talk about technology in approaching birth in America, if we talk about technology in approaching farming in America, if we talk about technology in approaching human in America, all of these false elements of connection, when you look at someone on a social media connection element, they don't make oxytocin. Oxytocin is made by the pituitary gland. This is an anxiolytic or an anxiety-reducing, feel-good, bliss-based compound that has such phenomenal healing properties. Um, a, it's the antidote to anxiety, right? And I think that that was a huge thing that was peaking during what I call the bad season, because there are too many billions of dollars funding that thing. I don't call it anything but the bad season. But during the bad season in 2020, when that struck, um, people were disconnected, right? And through that disconnect, we tried to connect through false technology mediums. 
And guess what? That drives up an efferent. That drives adrenaline. That drives fight or flight response being on your social feed. It depletes your dopamine. It is absolutely a counterplay. Just like when we look at NPK and soil through artificial, you can look at any time that technology tries to replace nature. Formula to breast milk, right? Not only now, okay, they're saying, okay, now well, with formula, we're adding probiotics. Now we have DHA. They're, they're trying to, now they're adding choline actually, right? But the reality is, you're, when you're feeding nipple to babe, there is a salivary mammalian nipple connection and your breast milk changes based on what baby needs. There is a symbiotic relationship. No one can produce that in a plant. No one can produce that. I mean, an industrial plant, not a growing plant beast. We can't do it on a plant anyway. But, you know, we really need to think back to nature and get back to what has stood the test of time of what's going to be healing. Because God, I, I say God, I believe in God. God is so all-knowing and the human design is so beautiful. And the world that we're all in is so beautiful. If we can just cut through the, the additive, the um, uh, manipulation of improvement through technology. So, Anne, as we're looking into nature for wisdom, for guidance, we've already spoken, we've touched on this before, but just in a different context. What is the relationship between the microbiome of the soil and the microbiome of the human? And how is the healing, what, what, what is the healing capacity in each? What have you seen? Yeah. Some people think that, um, I'll just put it this way. Normal functioning microbiomes in, in the soil are doing many of the same things as the human microbiome, most of which, as I talked about yesterday, is in the lower part of our digestive tract. And some people think, oh, you mean like the same bacteria and fungi and so forth that are in the soil are in our digestive tract? No, <laughs> that's not what I'm talking about because think about this. This is... Down there in the basement of your gut, it's, there's not a lot of oxygen. There's like hardly any. It's anaerobic. Out there in the soil, if you've got healthy soil anyway, it's aerobic. It's filled with oxygen. And that is one of the most sort of fundamental differences between these two types of microbiomes. So that just is to sort of clarify stuff because some people have come up to me and said, oh, can I take a soil pill? Well... I don't know. I'd rather have you be out there gardening or farming, frankly. But um, so, so that's just a clarification. And when it comes to these two microbiomes, however, one of the things that they do kind of in parallel, what you have here are parallel worlds. We wrote about this in The Hidden Half of Nature. And you can kind of think of, uh, you take the rhizosphere around the root system of a plant, because the soil to a plant, that's like a stomach. That's like a digestive kind of an environment. You take that environment, you turn it inside out, and you kind of have a rough approximation of what's going on in your gut, okay? Instead of plant exudates, you know, that's what, that's what the plants are making to, to move out into the soil microbiome in your gut, it's your diet. It's all the things that we've been talking about up here. Those are sort of the rough equivalent of plant exudates. So your microbiome is living off of your diet. And what we know about the human microbiome 
There's a lot we don't know. There's some things we're unsure of. But one of the sure things is that many of these microbial communities, and you'll often hear people say, you know, bacteria or this or that. I want, I want you to, to understand that these are nested communities. There's fungi, even viruses, uh, bacteria, uh, probably some protozoans in there. And what these microbes are doing is they are fermenting all of this plant matter. So remember I talked about my mulches and stuff yesterday out there on top of the soil? Your, your gut microbiome, you wanna think about it this way. You wanna mulch inside here with whole plant matter because that gives your microbiome you know, a lot to chew on, so to speak, okay? And <clears throat> a nourished, well-fed, human microbiome. This is like your inner doctor, your inner pharmacist, your inner alchemist. You call it what you want. This is what's helping normalize many of the systems that we need to, to just simply live a healthy life. And out there in the soil, it's, it's much the same. Uh, it's the, the, feeding of the microbiome with their preferred diet. And so oftentimes there's what our microbiome likes and then there's what our brain likes. And of, of course, the food industry has figured out what our brain likes. And they put all, that's where these, all this grass stuff and these 10,000 additives, there are armies of chemists sitting there in laboratories figuring out what our brain likes. And they put that in the food. And that's why you get this kind of zombie look of somebody there eating an entire bag of Doritos or, you know, you pick the food product out there. So that's what our brain likes. Our microbiome uh, falters when our diet has too much of that stuff in there. And so we're not getting... Um, we're not getting the beneficial microbial metabolites that are produced in our gut. Some of these are neurotransmitters. Some of these are these short chain fatty acids that do a whole range of things inside of our bodies. So I, I often, I, this is kind of where I'm at with microbiomes. There are thousands of compounds that the soil microbiome and the human microbiome is creating based on what we are feeding them. There are scientists out there who are, you know, cataloging this stuff and inventorying it. And I'm not actually all that interested in learning about these thousands of compounds. What I, I want to do is come up a level from that and say, oh, you mean the right diet produces, helps our microbiome produce these compounds that benefit our health? Then that's what I want. I want normal functioning processes because the outcome of that are these compounds and, and nutrient delivery and all of the rest of it that our crops are getting and that we are getting. And there's been some talk of technology and intelligence up here. And I am, um, I guess I'm gonna kinda echo my panel member here and say, maybe it's time to call shit on all of this AI stuff. Okay, because I don't know about you, but the last time I call up a customer service place, they are stupid, stupid when they put the robot on, right? I already gave them my name. I already gave them the account number. I've already explained what I want. 
And the person comes on to say, can I have your name and account number? This is stupid, okay? Part of what's going on with microbiomes in the soil, the human body, the ruminant body, the plant body, this is the real intelligence, okay? This is time-tested, millions to thousands of years. It has a track record. And for most of human history, nearly all of human history, these things have worked, and they have worked very well for us. We start jamming monkey wrenches in all over the place, and we start coming up with artificial intelligence and all of these so-called improvements, and things start to unravel. So that's my word on microbiomes. Wow. <laughs> Love it. Um, we saw Anne showing some pictures on the screen yesterday, turning dirt, dirt to soil creating life where life didn't exist, the capacity of land to heal. We've already echoed that amongst many panels, but Kelly, what is the capacity for the human body to heal? What have you seen and what are the first steps to take to move in that direction? Well, I've seen amazing transformations with clients and, there, and we have such an innate ability to heal just like the soil. And so much like my panelists, I want you to feel hope around that. And when we talk about the ways that we can heal our body, I, I actually have a fab four too. <laughs> it's protein, healthy fats, fiber, and leafy greens or vegetables deep in color. And this is a little four-part checklist that I go through whenever I think about making a meal for my family, whenever I think about coaching my clients, because we can think about protein like you know grass-fed bison or ancestral blend um, from force of nature as this absolute multivitamin of fat-soluble vitamins, proteins, omegas, minerals. And then you look at a healthy fat with that that's either coming through that protein or cold-pressed olive oil as an ability to support the absorption of fat-soluble vitamins and make your food delicious so that you, so that it's something that you can be consistent with. I think a lot of people, when they first try to take themselves on a health journey, they really restrict and they pull back. And there is definitely a case for that with diseases, autoimmune diseases, chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, you name it, hormone disruption. But when we're trying to take on being healthier for ourselves and our family, the basics, it's just like we're talking about here, go back to the basics, go back to nature, go back to the land. So you have your healthy protein as a multivitamin, you have the fat to help you absorb all those fat soluble vitamins and all the nutrients present in that protein. And then the fiber and leafy greens, that's supporting our microbiome. That's when we're talking about all those postbiotics, all of the short chain fatty acids. Let's take polyphenols, for example. When people tell you that antioxidants and phytonutrients, specifically polyphenols, are so amazing for you. These are those like deep purples and um, blues and blueberries, right? When we eat those and we have our microbes and you know and what they do is they make them bioavailable to us so you only have 5% of the polyphenols that you eat are actually absorbed into your body but when your microbes get those blueberries and digest them and ferment them 90% of what they produce is anti-inflammatory passes through our epithelial lining or your gut and is then automatically anti-inflammatory to you and so every meal every time you sit down 
with your family or your friends, you have the opportunity, if you're eating out or you're eating at home, to say, hey, let's just add that broccoli side. Do we have those blueberries in the fridge? Put them on the table. Like thinking about the ways to just add instead of be, instead of subtracting from your plate and being, um, you know, being in a state of fight or flight, really being in a place of nourishment with our food and adding, because working those foods together, that protein, fat, um, your fiber and your greens, when you eat those together, it's amazing too when we track blood sugar, inflammatory markers, and overall health and energy, how amazing you can feel. And it doesn't have to be a PDF eat and do not eat list and biohacking your way through the day. It's simply looking at your next meal and saying, how can I serve up health to myself and to my family members? And it may just be a quick add of something or swapping something out when you learn about the nutrient density of, say, an ancestral blend where you're getting liver and, um, you know, muscle meat protein in the same, in the same pound of meat. <laughs> so, so it doesn't have to be rocket science. It really can be going back to nature. I always tell my clients to think about what your grandma served up. There was a protein. There were some veggies. It was cooked slowly and enjoyed with community. So let's get back to basics on the farm and let's get ba back to basics on our plate. Amazing. Amen, sister. So we have a capacity to heal ourselves. We look into nature for wisdom and for the architecture. It's there. We, look, we had Judy show us some examples of digumbabwe. Digumbwe? Digumgombe. Uh, Zimbabwe. We've seen miracles happening in the Chihuahua Desert of Mexico. These are like the worst case examples of land transferring from what you would perceive it as dead back to amazing life. And so, Allie, what's like the human analog there? Um, maybe with uh, something you've seen with one of your clients, like how sick have you seen someone and, and what did that look like as they transform and reclaim their health? Um, I mean, I've, I've seen all across the board. Um, I've seen from wheelchair bound to walker to riding bicycle. I've seen from debilitating anxiety and panic attacks to getting a promotion and getting back out in the world. I've seen those that have been told that they'll never naturally conceive, have four, five, six babies. Um, I mean, it goes on, but that's not as much fun to talk about. I mean, you know, everyone has their own unique story to heal. Um, and I think honestly, my favorite testimonials are when someone says to me, after 15 years of not feeling like myself in my body, I feel like myself again. Um, I think that that's really powerful. Um, and I think that, you know, one of the big things that I look at as a way to use food as medicine means that you need to have an intimate connection to your source of your pharmacy with an F, you know. And so um, that's actually a mission of my Naturally Nourished Market and why I opened that out in Wimberley, Texas is that I wanted to make sure that the meats that I was purchasing, that I had been on every single ranch, that I've made eye contact and have met the babies of the, the parents that are feeding me, um, that I've learned about their vaccination programs, their medication, their amendments, the changes that they make. And until I feel confident about something that I want to put in my body, then I want to make sure I pay you a fair wage with your dollar and share you with my community so that we can have this robust relationship, this connection to make sustainable change. Um, and I think that that goes all the way into the produce that you're selecting. You know, right now what we're dealing with disease is mitochondrial toxicity, truly. Uh, our mitochondria is inundated with toxins. So right after we eradicated DDT, 
glyphosate came right in, right? DDT had estrogen mimicking components. So it was in some sense an endocrine disrupting compound. Glyphosate is a neurotoxin that also has endocrine disrupting and sterility elements. And so it's pretty trifecta impact on whole body health. And when we look at stats on kids with being low iron, it's because they're eating breakfast cereal instead of the choline rich eggs, right? Um, and so we have to get back to single whole real foods. Um, I believe very strongly that optimal human health has two principles. One is that we are all made to be omnivores. I would love to have a conversation about carnivore versus omnivore and plant toxins. We can do that as a separate question. Should I just do it now? I mean, I mean, I'll just do it real quick. I mean, because I believe that we're all made to be omnivores. And this is what I mean. Have you ever heard of the term hormesis? Hormesis means a stressful change that manifests good or beneficial outcomes. So if I'm lifting a 10-pound weight with my arm, I'm going to tear some muscle fibers. I'm going to build and bulk my muscle tissue and improve my lean body mass, which enhance supports my metabolism, my BMR, et cetera. Now, there could be a hormetic break where if someone held me, God forbid, at gunpoint to lift a 10-pound weight for 10 hours, I would have so much atrophy and tear that that muscle couldn't take that. We can liken this to cold plunging. We can liken this to anything in this biohacking space right now about hormetic challenge. How does this stressor manifest good outcomes in the body? And my take on plant toxins is just that. Um, my take on plant toxins is, yeah, sulforaphane. If you want to call it a plant toxin, that's cool. If you want to make a, a myopic tunnel vision diet based on that, that's fine. However, I've seen endogenous glutathione enhanced production. That means in the human body, when I challenge it with sulforaphane, my body produces significantly more glutathione. I mean, glutathione is the master antioxidant in, you know, vitamin C is a little baby kid sister. We have CoQ10 somewhere here in the middle, selenium, et cetera. But glutathione and N-acetylcysteine are like the matriarch of the antioxidant um, paradigm, if you will. And so for me, I don't care if you want to call turmeric, sulforaphane, whatever, a plant toxin. If when I eat it, my body does some cool shit, I'm going to eat it, right? That sounds like a good thing for my body. Um, and so that's my take on that. I think that for short periods of time, we may need to restrict plant matter to heal our gut. Um, if we're dealing with leaky gut, if we're dealing with SIBO, we got to get to the root of that imbalance and get that microbiome to work for us again, that 10 to 1 amount of microbes to cells in our body to work for us. So we're in a symbiotic, not dysbiotic state. But that requires other plants like berberine um, to kill it off, right? Caprylic acid that's in coconut oil. So we actually have to use plants to heal, to heal from dysbiosis. You can't truly just necessarily starve it off by not giving it any long chain carbohydrates. And we even see in things like leafy greens, sulfoquinivose is a compound. That's a unique phytocompound in leafy greens. Sulfoquinivose has been shown to actually fight and combat dysbiosis and candida. Um, so again, can you starve it? Yeah, but you can also use diversity within nature to facilitate a healing process. So I believe that we are made to be omnivores. I do believe a very muscle, animal protein, excuse me, animal protein centric snout to tail element of that is absolutely essential. So you also can't be vegetarian to have optimal health by any means. Um, and then the second thing is I believe that we're all made to be hybrid machines, meaning that we're all made to have the access of ketones as much as glucose. Um, and so I also don't get myopic and tunnel vision there as someone who's used keto as a healing modality and eats in a moderate keto approach. I also use hormesis in the sense of metabolic flexibility and carb cycling. So I might use a banana in my low carb blueberry muffins, but that's a 12th of a banana 
per, per muffin, right? And you got coconut oil in there, you got almond flour, you got eggs. And so it's not about yes, no, all or nothing. It's equally about restriction as it is about abundance. Um, we have to bring down carbs to access the beauty of mitochondrial support through ketosis, but we don't have to red list foods. We have to understand based on our insulin sensitivity, based on our movement, what is our metabolic flexibility to still make ketones and use glucose and ketones as a hybrid back and forth machine switch um, while still having food freedom. Okay. Um, so Allie's out. She's been out to this ranch before. She's like kissing baby bison and boots on the ground, interacting with the microbiome, putting those products in her market. You can trust Naturally Nourished. Um, and for those of you that you know, maybe in the audience that don't have someone like Allie vetting products, how do we use our intrinsic senses and our own wisdom to tell what is good to eat and what is not? Oh, I love that question. I was, as I'm listening <clears throat> to things up here, I'm thinking about body wisdom and I'm thinking about how, uh, let's just go back in time a little bit before we had the food industry and we had all the flashy packaging and the pretty pictures and all the crap on social media that are, uh, okay, just, we're going to go back. We all have our own commentary on that. Let's go back to a time when that wasn't there. And what did we have to go on? I mean, how did we know what to eat? How do ruminants know what to eat when you put them out there in a pasture? You know, are they just a bunch of dumb animals? kind of having this and having that and, and so on. Are we, were we just a bunch of dumb animals wandering around foraging on this thing or that thing? No, not at all. So there, you know, we were taking in, let's say some anthocyanin rich berry. The minute that hits our mouth, it hits our gut, there are feedbacks that start immediately between our gut and our brain. There's a reason the gut is called the second brain, right? It's because it's this, it's this center of intelligence in our body and it is like this beacon. It is sending messages out all the time. We take in that blueberry and let's say, you know, we were ailing from something, needed some anti-inflammatories. The feedback is eat handfuls of that berry. We do that. We start feeling better. Body wisdom's like, okay, time to cut that off. Too much hormesis is going to be happening here soon if you keep eating all those berries. How about some protein? Got to walk around foraging and hunting here. It's time for some protein. Body wisdom kicks in. There we are doing our hunting, getting some protein. So a note on this omnivorous diet and, and body wisdom <clears throat> Pasture-raised meats are the most nutrient-dense food. This is true. Uh, there's also things that come along with eating a lot of protein and a lot of meat, and this is why you want the plant kingdom there, because these are in many ways sort of the antidote or the time to calm down, anti-inflammatory, uh, getting toxins out of your cells and your tissues. This is what phytochemicals are. They are the cleanup crew, all right? 
I, I think we all really need to get uh, this whole idea of, you know, we think of janitors and cleaning crews and so on as, that's a pretty lowly kind of occupation, isn't it? Not at all. Inside of our bodies, this cleanup, this tidying up, this is essential to set yourself up right for the next day. This is part of what, what fasting, what people believe fasting is doing for us, is it's allowing for a reset, right? Like, our diet is like this big party in our gut with our microbiome and our blood sugar and all this stuff, and it's New Year's Eve after every meal. But you can't go on like that day after day after day. There needs to be a rest and a reset and a clean out. And so this is part of what body wisdom is about, is that we can tap into, it's part of, this is innate human biology. We can tap into our body wisdom and listen, try to get these industrial food products and all this ultra-processed crap out of your diet because it is mixing up the signaling between your gut and your brain. It is scrambling your body wisdom. We, Dave and I write about this in What Your Food Ate. And one of the reasons, say in the summertime, right, we love stone fruit. We like the cherries and the peaches and all of that stuff. And in part, here's why. You get, a, a, you get a peach from a farmer who's got the best soil health, the best trees, all of this stuff. That peach is packed with a particular combination of phytochemicals, of minerals, of sugars. It hits our palate, it goes to our brain, and we're like, give me another and another, all right? Then you eat that mealy peach, and this is where it's such a problem with kids. Do not ever, ever give them shitty-tasting fruits and vegetables. This is going to scar them for life. They will look at a peach again, and these kids are not stupid. Even though they can't maybe talk, what are they going to do? They're going to spit it out, and the next time you put a peach in front of them, they're going to give you the finger. Right? Do not ever feed people lousy tasting food. It, it is a big problem because the body wisdom is going, no nutrition. Uh, oh, lousy taste that might be associated with a toxin and I definitely don't want any poisons in my body. So this is all part of our ability to figure out what to eat to keep us healthy. And everything I've just said, ruminants are out there on the pasture doing the same thing, but it's tricky. These are herbivores and plants, these phytochemicals are toxic, and especially in wild plants. And so animals are always doing this dance between, I need a little bit, I need some tannins, I'm gonna go and nibble on this. Oh, now my stomach's upset. Now I'm gonna move over here to this other kind of plant because I don't want my stomach upset because I feel bad and when I feel bad I don't eat and then the rancher's not happy because I'm not growing and so on and so forth. So you want to let animals do the dance that their body wisdom knows about. And on any given day, a ruminant in a pasture underlain with soil health will pick and choose from among, you know, 50 or 100 different plant species. I'm kind of thankful I don't need to do that. You know, I'm not trying to make those kind of decisions. I'm also thankful I'm not a koala bear stoned on eucalyptus. I mean... That's a hard lifestyle to detox on all that eucalyptus. But on the other hand, nobody else can eat that. So the koalas kind of have a, 
you know, they got a lockbox on, on the eucalyptus, and they've been able to do okay on that, right? Panda bears, bamboo. So my whole, my whole point here is that every organism has a body wisdom. There's communication going on that's constantly feeding that body wisdom. And babies, babies, they don't know what to eat right away. That's too much for them. They're growing. They're growing their biomass. And that's why, that's why either, you know, cow mama, human mama, there's a lot of teaching and learning to get that body wisdom on the same track. Because sooner or later, right, the babe flies the coop. And you got to live out there in the big, the big wide world and figure stuff out for yourself. So you want, our bodies really are primed for health and for vitality and for thriving. And one of the biggest things we have for that is our body wisdom. So long as we don't get it polluted and we don't get it scrambled and we don't, you know, we don't want our body wisdom reading or listening to any propaganda whatsoever, okay? So the next time you're eating a Dorito, okay, because we all probably do that on occasion, how do you really feel? Your brain's all like, crazy. Your gut's like, you know, maybe you're like that ruminant. I had a few too much of this plant. I need to move on to the antidote. So there we go. Such wise women up here. Um, I, th I think this is like why we call uh, the earth Mother Earth. It has that feminine energy and that wisdom, that mother instinct. Okay, um, we're going to open this up to you guys for you guys to express your, oh, what's up? Tim, okay, can someone go run that guy a mic? This is not a planted question, but this guy asks really good questions. It's going to be smart. Pressure's on. Uh, I guess I was just thinking about how this relates to grazing and rest periods. So I, um, I guess this is for Anne. Um, what would you recommend as far as like intermittent fasting? Because I was thinking, like, as a compost pile matures, the, diver the diversity and composition of the microbes changes a lot. So maybe uh, a few times a year we should really uh, get some matured compost <laughs> and do a little fasting. <laughs> so, so, so is your question, should we apply this fasting, compo th this fasting topic to um, maybe reducing levels of compost out there? On on land is that like oh should we be yeah should, should that uh, in our basement <laughs> yeah right, yeah that colon, should we have periods where we don't eat for a while so that can just sit there and mature ah microbially, oh okay right <laughs> yeah so are we growing compost yeah are we growing compost down there in the basement really. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you ever want to think about starving the microbiome down there in the basement because these critters are hungry and you don't really want a lot of die off down there. That's not good. You don't really want, uh, you, on the other hand, you don't want this, um, let's stuff them. You don't want to stuff them or starve them sort of thing. You kind of want a nice steady level. And as far as, so, so that's what I would say about that. And I, trickling um, these whole plants and the plant fibers and the phytochemicals down there to the basement on a daily basis is a really good idea. It's kind of like drip irrigation for the microbiome. 
And you don't want to like cut that off for two or three or four days. But on the other hand, we can all go for some period of time, 12 to 24 or more hours without, without eating. And that allows for the, the kind of clean out and the reset that I was talking about. Hey, ladies. Um, so I'm a mom of two young kids, four and six, and I live in Nashville where there is a Chick-fil-A on every corner. Um, I've been studying health for a long time. Nutrition, I'm very well versed in it. But what I am struggling with and many other in my community are raising our children in a world where there is food coloring at every birthday party, where they feel restricted um, and we feel as parents that we are somehow having to control their diets. Um, I don't want my kids to wind up with an eating disorder. And I notice in the health influencer space, I think many people do wind up with orthorexia. I wonder if you guys can speak to how you manage this, how you would manage it. Um, when we go to birthday parties, if I know that there's going to be food coloring birthday cake, I have my kids pick, you know, we're not restricting sugar, right? But I don't want them eating the blue food coloring from Costco. Um, and it's a non-negotiable, but when my daughter sees it, you see her eyes light up and she's trying to swipe her finger into the cake because she wants to try it so bad. But I know that this is not good for them. And I know there's so many other moms here that understand this so well. Um, and I'm wondering if you can speak to that, like what is in your wisdom, the solution here? I don't want to take them away from birthday parties. I don't want to take them away from their friends. Um, but I don't want them cause you, they say that 80, 20 rule. Well, when there's a birthday party four times a weekend, yeah. it'd be one thing if it was once a month, do whatever, but they're for a weekend. The schools are giving them food coloring popsicles. And I go to a, a hippie school out in the country and they're still giving the kids crap. So I wonder how you guys would, um, what advice you'd give to mothers out there who are struggling with this on a daily basis. I'm sure we both have experience in this. I think we'll probably both tell a little bit about our experience with clients and, our, and being moms ourselves. But first I want to say your, your heart is in the right place, right? And then just caring so much about your kid's health and knowing that what they're eating is not only going to impact their physical health, but their mental health and their ability to succeed as adults. Um, but yeah, it can definitely become something where we're labeling things for kids. And so it feels like a, a losing game of whack-a-mole as a mom, right? And so I would say I in, have taken the anger about what's in the kids' food and tried to really focus it in a positive way in educating my kids. So I unfortunately don't live on a ranch. <laughs> I was talking to Robbie about this and like, you know, I'm, I'm in Southern California in a tract home, very small plot of land. So, but it's very important to us to have a grow bed and to go to our local farmer's market and to have my kids picking veggies, smelling it, touching it, being exposed to it. When we talk about our children's diet and their ex, their, them accepting foods, the majority of caregivers and parents will stop introducing foods to children when they say no three to five times. When your child says, I don't like broccoli, I don't like broccoli. I don't like broccoli. We stop making it for our children. There's a flavor window up until 18 months 
where on average it's a dozen times or a little bit more. After 18 months, we're talking about 20 to 30 introductions before a child is like, yeah, I love that. I'll have that. And it's introductions in a multitude of different ways. And so what I always think about is how can I get my kids involved in the kitchen and where I live, it's very easy to get sucked into like, are you sending your kid to this camp or this academic, you know, are you pushing them in STEM? And what I realized is like the relationship that we get to create. And then I know there was a lot of talk about homesteading yesterday, but the relationship we create in the kitchen when they're my sous chef, rinsing the veggies, you know, I'll see my two-year-old eat a piece of cilantro when he's rinsing it in a sink and never touch it on his plate if I'm plating it for him without him having interacting with it interacted with it. And so I would say, think about all the ways that you can develop and continue to develop the relationship you have with your children and their relationship with the land and the food that they're eating, whether that's, you know, coming to ranches like Rome Ranch and doing excursions out into nature to literally having a grow bed in your backyard and having them touch and feel it. Exposure and modeling as parents is the best we can do for our children. And so when you think about exposure, modeling, and access that our kids may have, it really comes down to us being the example and bringing them into our world because most of the time they just want to do what we want to do, right? They they don't want to be put in a room to play with a toy. Our spatula, I mean, they see it in my house all the time. My ladle and spatula is my two-year-old's favorite toys. He wants to open my drawers and play with my toys. And so just bringing them in and getting them involved in that. And then really um, also I think – you know, looking back at 2020 and what it did for a lot of people is it gave them an ability to take a step back and say what's really important. And we're in a day and age where everyone's connected socially online, but it may not be that your children are connected with every single person they're being invited to that birthday party with. And I would say I've started to have boundaries because of the amount of social engagements and processed foods that are in their everyday life from school to after school sports. And Finding your community is important. So like-minded parents that also have the same ideals as you, and I know you said you go to the same school, but it, I'll, I'll give you an example. My son's on a baseball team right now, and he's four. My oldest is four, and it's like the snack bag is no, not like we did soccer. I got an orange at halftime. I mean, it's like a goodie bag with a toy and gummies and a, and a juice box, and I'm just like, what is happening, right? The, he just... He didn't even run to first base, guys. Like, there was no activity happening here. Like, he got up to the tee and then went back to the bench, you know? So we want to think about, okay, how – and it took one email. And I emailed the moms and I said, hey, guys, can we just put some boundaries on what this looks like? And you'll be surprised how many other parents take a deep breath with you and go, thank you. Like, I don't want to be in the rat race of having to not only go to Costco, but now I have to go to the dollar store to get a toy to go in there as well. And it's it's one upping one another in in regards to highly processed and palatable foods that are just short circuiting our kids brains. Right. So and then having the conversations, um, you know, I live in a place I do go out to restaurants. My parents, my parents invited myself and my son to the Cheesecake Factory. My mom had a strawberry lemonade. My son had never had a strawberry lemonade at the Cheesecake Factory before. And he looked at me and I said, okay, you can, you can have that. And he drank it in 13 seconds. And we spent a half an hour in the Cheesecake Factory women's restroom in the handicap stall while his GI system got rid of all of it. And so that was a teachable moment for me that 
our bodies are capable to, capable to handle everything, but in large doses, it may be, it may hurt our bodies. And it isn't that your body can't handle sugar because you run around a lot and you're on your scooter and your skateboard and you're surfing and you're doing all these things with dad and mom. But we have really open conversations around what makes us feel really good, what, what are strong foods. And I know we talked about this in the beginning, like not having labels for foods, that's disempowerment for your children. You need to educate your children and not in a fear-mongering way, but in a, I mean, in a way that when my mom would tell me that carrots were good for my eyes, like that stuck, right? So when we educate ourselves and we get them involved and we model it and we expose them, they get so excited to be a part of it. And don't be discouraged. Be really empowered by the steps you're taking. Don't be afraid to send an email to the, to the team mom. Don't be afraid to ask a couple moms in your preschool class, are we all okay with this? Or how can we, how can we all get together to do better for our kids? Because a lot of times the teachers in the education program, they're overwhelmed. You know, they're taking whatever the school is giving them as a snack for the kids. Half the time they don't want to be feeding those ki- the, the children highly processed sugars and carbohydrates. They're dealing with emotional blood sugar meltdowns at the end of that in class. They're dysregulated. The kids are having a hard time learning and retaining that. So, um, you know, they might not have the capacity to help change, but the parents who care, we do. And I think that is just keep doing what you're doing. And instead of worrying as much about um, all of it, put some boundaries up and really refocus on how can you get them so excited about the whole foods that they're eating, not just serving it up. Uh, on the on the plate, bring them in the kitchen too. It's like my favorite classroom. Colors, crunch, flavor. I mean, we count in there. It's like, this is stainless steel. This is wood. I mean, think about it. There are so many things to learn in a kitchen. So best of luck. Awesome. Great answer. Um, we have time for, depending on how long the response is. Sorry. I, I loved it. I get real passionate about I loved this, it. Uh, one to two more questions. Hi. Thank you for, you know, for giving us uh, your values and what you know. I just happen to have a question like um, with fruits and vegetables. Now, I know not having it with pesticides, not having it in crappy water or cooking in seed oils or whatnot. I know that's a way to avoid it, but are there like fruits and vegetables that you should eat and should not eat? Like, I kind of feel like kale just has no nutritional value. Like is, does stuff like that exist or? I'll just do a, 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 a short thing and, and then hand it off to other panel members. One thing that's been kind of circulating through my mind here is that There is a lot of diversity out here um, in the audience in terms of our biology and our genes and so on. And I was talking with somebody yesterday and um, they were telling me, wow, man, my blood sugar is dropping. I've got to go get something to eat. And then they went on to say, you know, it's kind of been that way my, my whole life. And I thought, wow, this person has like this like high, high metabolism kind of like, you know, needing to eat every several hours. And that was just that person's metabolism. That's just how it is. And every one of us has our own variation or preferences on certain foods. I mean, I cannot eat like an Inuit person. That amount of meat and fat, I'm just not sure what it would do for me, nor could I likely, 
you know, eat like a native Polynesian. That might not, you know, do it for me either. And for for all of us, um, there's a there's an equivalent of this strawberry lemonade type foods out there. And if and I'm I don't know if kale is your strawberry lemonade. I'm kind of hoping not. But <laughs> yeah, but you need to just pay. This is where paying attention to body wisdom and whether you're a kid or not, checking in with, wow, how do I feel after I ate that thing? Neutral, good or bad. And use that as your compass because each and every one of us has a North Star and we're navigating our way there. But my journey is going to take a different route than yours than anybody else is here. So that what should I eat question, I kind of throw back at people to say, I bet you could figure that out. Uh, but if you need, uh, but then that's why there's people like this, because if you can't figure that out or you can go and say, hey, I'm kind of getting this like mixed signal on kale. Sometimes I feel like, you know, super person and sometimes, you know, not what's going on. So that, that would be, part of the, I think, response to that. Yeah, I would, I would, um, I love the body wisdom connection element. And um, I use the mantra often that someone's superfood can absolutely be someone else's kryptonite. You know, our own immune system is the surveillance system of the body and it decides what's friend or foe. It decides whether your body likes oak pollen or not. It also decides whether your body likes kale or not. It also decides whether your body likes wild caught salmon or not. I mean, and so there can be astroxanthin, these powerful, unique compounds that we seek to get out of foods, but we ultimately have to come back with being connected. And I think that's that element of disconnect driving disease beyond this kind of altruistic, larger scale element, even within the body. Um, I keep all, I have all of my patients keep a um, brain dump journal where once a week they, I, I just have them spend 15 minutes in their body downloading the feedback of what interventions we made, what worked best or whatnot. Some adaptogens, some people do really well in cordyceps. Some people do really well in ginseng. Some people do really well in ashwagandha. Some people feel like crap on valerian, you know? And so it, it, it's very, th that N equals one biochemical uniqueness. We have to honor that. And we can't honor that until we can hear the feedback from our body. We can't hear the feedback from the body until we create a re- enriched connection with the body and we can silence or remove any of the gray white noise, which is the, the disconnection elements. Great. Thank you. Hey, Ashley Odom over at Feast and Merriment. You there? Ashley, I'm right here. Hey, uh, turn to your left. We still, we still need five more minutes. We're good. We're ready. Okay. I, want this guy to ask you a question, but I'm so nervous y'all are going to take forever. Okay. No, we promise. Okay, okay. cut us off. Seriously. I, I won't answer it. <laughs> okay. <It's> okay. <laughs> no, no, no. Y'all are all amazing and uh, too long-winded, but here this guy is. <laughs> hey, everyone. Uh, I feel like my question is going to be very thought-provoking, so it might take a while. But, well, here's, I'll try to keep it short. Um, I guess my question would be, you know, for those that are looking to go into, like, MDs and, you know, pharmacy, you know, dentistry school, like, what would you advise to them for it? Because, and I bring that up because, I mean, when we want to say, like, let's call for what it is, you know, modern medicine really isn't teaching how to heal properly. And I bring that up because, like, I'm reading a book called Metabolical right now by Andrew Lustig, and he goes over, like, well, this is how I practice it, but this wasn't what I was taught and what I learned. So 
as an alumni of my fraternity, I really do go back and I meet a lot of young kids that are wanting to be, you know, pre-dance, pre-farms, going to medical school, but trying to really guide them more towards, well, keep, you know, nutrition in mind because, you know, like, how do you truly heal someone? So, you know, as practitioners and being like the functional MD side of things and, you know, really being more holistic and heal. So I'm like, what would you say to, you know, folks that are going into those fields and take quick- how to guide it? Okay, I can take it quick. So I went to a naturopathic college of medicine, but instead of getting licensed as an ND, I got licensed as a registered dietitian because my mentor told me that I could be a lot more powerful as a coat, like a covert, you know, little underground person. Um, and so as a registered dietitian, I'm in the allopathic space or the conventional space. So I get referrals from cardiologists, gastroenterologists, oncologists. I participated in a research study at MD Anderson on stage three breast cancer, all of which I would not be able to do without my medical credentials. So I think that there is absolutely for the, if someone is motivated to get the credentials and they know that there's a need for those credentials to achieve certain outcomes, maybe they want to order labs, maybe they want to be able to um, compound hormone, right? And so figuring out what are your objectives, if you just want to heal individuals, maybe you don't need those credentials, but if the input that you want to do requires credentials, then you go through the steps, you (laughs) take a lot of GABA calm and say, la, 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 as you answer what they want to hear all the while working your own path and journey and co-educating yourself. Unfortunately, that's my answer is the truth. You have to co-educate yourself while you go through the motions to get the letters. And then you do what you know intuitively and biochemically and anatomy and physiologically is correct and sound. And you can make a little bit of movement. I remember when I was a dietetic intern and I was putting into every doctor's box information on non-homogenized whole milk and and because they were doing skim milk for diabetics. And I was like, you need conjugated linoleic acids. These are only found in saturated fat. Let me tell you about this research study on conjugated linoleic acids. And so you can do it if you have the right approach and the couth to be an ally, not a thorn in the side. Um, and at the end of the day, I think just like farmers, every, every medical practitioner gets in the field because they want to heal. Yes, there's a lot of ego, but I do believe at the end of the day that they want to heal and that we can meet them in the middle um, because, you know, that's important to do so. We have to bridge. Beautiful. These wise women have so much passion and so much reverence, so much love. So the conversation doesn't end here. Sorry to end it short. You guys were super amazing and they had tons of interesting things to say. So find them afterwards. Wow. That was such an incredible conversation. I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you feel inclined, please share this. Share this message with someone that needs to hear it. If you are pro-freedom then you have to recognize that one of the best ways to retain your birthright is to reclaim your health. When you outsource your thinking to big agriculture, big pharmaceuticals, and the big governmental agencies who created the very dietary guidelines that got us into this awful mess, you are forfeiting your health and therefore becoming further enslaved and dependent on the system that poisons you. Massive thanks to my guests, Kelly Levesque, Ali Miller, and Beakley. I encourage you guys to reach out to these amazing women, to research them, to learn more about them. They have so much amazing content out there, and they are boldly venturing into a terrain that is focused on creating hope. Also, big thanks to the sponsor of this podcast, Force of Nature. 
Force of Nature is the meat brand that put together that helps support this conference from which this recording was taken. If you don't know where to start on your health journey, I encourage you to reach out to one of our panelists and I encourage you to go to forceofnature.com and see what real food looks like. Experience food that was grown on the land by artisans who have a craft for nurturing the soil, providing for their animals, and creating some of the most nutrient-dense products on the planet. So now we are going to the part of the podcast where I actually read a real review that someone left on our Apple podcast platform. And this is so hilarious. I swear to God, I don't even read these reviews before I record it. This is a live stream. So someone could just be talking mad shit about me and I would read that. Don't get any ideas, but here we go. This one is called Go Get Yourself a Bowl by Allie Arnold. She says five stars. This podcast is like sitting down to a big bowl of chili. The complex layers of spice and the form of diverse characters interviewed engaged and challenged my palate. The facts of our complex natural world and how humans are engaging in restoring it are the melody, vegetables, oh gosh, medley of vegetables and delicious morsels of meat that nourishes me. Finally, Taylor and his wife Katie are the age old cast iron passed down from great grandma's kitchen cooking it all up and holding it together top it all off with some cheesy humor and call it complete after each episode i'm left feeling full satisfied looking forward to seeing what is stewing up in the next episode of where hope grows so sit down get yourself a bowl and fill up oh my gosh that was like the best review ever ali arnold I'm going to give you a big old bear hug, big old bear hug. If I ever get to meet you in person, um, I'm glad that you don't eat vegan chili. Cause if you compared this podcast episode to vegan chili, I'd be real sad, but you specifically said that big old morsels of meat, probably implying that there's bison meat in that chili. Now I feel inclined to end today's episode with a quote from Michael Pollan. He is the author of many books, one that, absolutely changed the trajectory of my life omnivores dilemma um michael pollan said something that has stuck with me over so many years and that is that the human animal is adapted to and apparently can thrive on an extraordinary range of different diets but the western diet however you define it does not seem to be one of them farewell friends